there was only one way to get the best month of the year started. Welcome to March, everybody. This is the Rebound Rundown, and I'm your host, Paul Fritschner. This is produced by Chatterbox Sports. It's your Daily Digest college basketball show where you can get your info on Cincinnati area college hoops every Monday through Friday in short episodes. Dayton beat LaSalle last night 77-53 behind 16 points from Deron Holmes, who also had 10 boards and 5 assists. Holmes is now 5 points away from 1,000 for his career. This was a game Dayton pretty much led wire to wire after they took the lead 50 seconds in. That's the 12th year in a row Dayton has won the senior night game. With the win, Dayton secured a top 4 seed in the A-10 tournament. The biggest story of the night around the area might have been the Miami Redhawks, who beat Western Michigan 77-62 to win their fourth game in a row and fifth in their last seven games. This is after Miami had lost seven in a row and nine of their first ten games in MAC play. Mikhail Larry had 21 points for Miami, one of five double-figure scorers. Miami is now in sole possession of the eighth and final spot in the MAC tournament with one game remaining. The Redhawks play at Buffalo on Friday, a team they've already beaten by 11 this year. Wright State won their opener in the Horizon League tournament, beating Green Bay by 20. Brandon Knoll had a monster game, going for 20 points and 16 rebounds. The Raiders now travel to Milwaukee for their quarterfinal game against the Panthers at 8 on Thursday night. The Louisville Cardinals lost by 17 to Virginia Tech to drop to 2-17 in ACC play with one game left, a Saturday matchup against Virginia. The highlight of this game, though, didn't come from the players. If you didn't see it, go to Mike Rutherford's Twitter account. One of the Frisbee dogs, for what I'm assuming was a halftime show, stopped and pooped on the... (laughs) I can't even say it with a straight face. The dog pooped on the court at the Yum Center. That is... (laughs) Very appropriate for Louisville's season. All right, now let's hear from Jim Root. You can hear and read his content on the Three Man Weave, the Action Network, and the Field of 68. You can find him on Twitter at Second Chance Points, typed out the number 2ND Second Chance Points. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time this afternoon to talk on the Rebound Rundown. Let's talk about Xavier and the Big East and, and where the Big East stands right now. Marquette? Likely, as we record this, they're a few hours away from tipping off at Butler. If they beat the Bulldogs, which a lot of people would assume that they do tonight, they'll win the Big East outright. But still a lot to be decided throughout the rest of the conference as far as seeding goes, as far as NCAA tournament seeding goes, everything else. I'd like to get your overall thoughts on especially Xavier as as what this podcast covers, especially the Musketeers, but the Big East in general, where the conference sits, what your thoughts are. I've had a lot of people, you know, tweet into me and say, hey, let's let's get some national thoughts. Let's get some outside perspective on the Big East and, and Xavier, especially. So um, just before we get into the nitty gritty, wh- what are some of your overall thoughts on the Xavier team, uh, some of their their um maybe what their ceiling is going in into March Madness. Xavier fits right in with a lot of, to me, the other top of the, the Big East, where they are ultra fun to watch. I have every single Big East game I can watch, especially the top half. I try to make it happen because Xavier, Providence, Marquette, UConn, Creighton, all those games seem to come down to the wire. There's a ton of incredible shot making going on in all those games. And Xavier is a representative of that. They They move the ball incredibly well offensively. It's fun to watch them be this well-oiled offensive machine after some of Sean Miller's Arizona teams were not that. They were a little more bogged down, stagnated sometimes, played a little more half-court. 
he's really opened things up and let them run this year. I do think the ceiling involves Zach Fremantle. So that is something, you know, it kind of hinges on whether he's going to be able to come back fully healthy down the stretch here. And I don't necessarily think you need him for a regular season game. Just get him a couple reps in the conference tournament. You're going to have a solid seed in the NCAA tournament, whether it's four or five, six, wherever you end up there, potentially even a three if you finish strong. Um, but I, I, Xavier's got the upside. The, the shot making is going to be really tough for other teams to deal with. They've got a lot of different offensive weapons, especially when you go two bigs with Fremantle and Nunji able to play in out and go kind of some of that post to post passing. The defense has its issues, but that's kind of true of every Big East team right now. And uh, I, well, most Big East teams right now. And I don't think it's going to be too much of a limitation unless you run it. Like if every big East team plays a grinding big 12 team in the tournament, then maybe that's where some of the the lack of defensive aptitude catches up with them. But the offense gives them such a high ceiling. I'm glad you brought that up about Sean Miller and some of the offensive changes that he's made, especially in his year off. He's talked a lot about that and, that was what he focused on in his time away from being a head coach that he wanted to reignite his offensive strategy. And he's done that this year. One of the best offenses in the country, one of the best three point shooting teams in the country, which is not something that could be said for Xavier over the last four or five years. What do you see as such a difference between what we saw from Sean Miller at Arizona versus what he is now doing at Xavier? It's some of the, the tempo and the freedom. Uh, it, Felt like a lot of times he wanted to micromanage a little bit at Arizona where he's got a lot of really talented guys with true pro aspirations, but he'd want to be like, all right, we need to execute to get this shot at this point in the possession, or we got to have all the, the, you know, specific pre-designed sets to make some of this happen. It feels like Xavier's more free flowing now. And you guys can take shots early in the shot clock. If they're there, there's a lot more freedom to that. It seems like, and just the, the the confidence that guys are shooting with. It's not like every one of the the guys that are part of this elite shooting squad they have were forty percent shooters last year. Um, it, it some of that comes from the shots that they're allowed to take. They're not stressed that they're going to get benched if they miss one or two. It's it's interesting how some coaches are able to develop that dynamic. I think Bruce Pearl always does a really good job of it at Auburn, like just letting his guys know that they can shoot and, and to be confident when they do it. And it seems like Sean Miller has brought that here. And I, I do think playing faster helps that too. You get better looks in transition frequently. And the guys are just more in the flow of the game when they take those shots. And that that really helps. When you see how Xavier has played here down the stretch, they've taken a lot of close losses. But of course, that's been without Zach Freeman. So they've lost three games by a combined four points here in the last couple of weeks. And now all of a sudden you have to go and turn around as people listen to this. It will be tonight that Xavier plays at Providence. Uh, this is a huge game as far as the Big East standings goes. It's a game basically for second place in the Big East for that second seed uh, in the Big East tournament. Providence seems to be a pretty good matchup for Xavier. Xavier won round one without Fremantle at the Cintas Center, but going and playing at the Amp is an entirely different story. Um, what do you do? Do you have any overall thoughts on this game, how it might match up for Xavier, and, and especially how Providence has played here lately too? Well, I'd imagine it's going to be another close one. So Muskie fans, <laughs> I'm sure they're they're used to that at this stage of the season. But that's, like I said, that's how these games have played out. The, the, the teams are really equal. The coaches are really good on just about every one of those uh, top half Big East teams. So the there's no, you know, checkmate early in those games. There's a lot of really strong adjustments made. 
Providence and, and Xavier both have the toughness inside. Uh, the way Hunter has played on the offensive glass, I think, has been super impressive for Xavier. Not exactly the reputation he had brought with him from Indiana. I think he was more of a perimeter for at that stage. So cultivating that's been great, and you need it against Providence. That Their whole identity is we, we will get every 50-50 ball. We're going to beat you to those. And they can shoot it a little bit, too. Uh, it, they had that going at UConn until the, the game went off the rails last week. But you've got to be able to match their physicality, match their intensity, even in that environment where it's going to be a packed, packed house. And Cooley always gets that that crowd going there. Um, I, I think it'll be close. But the fact that you've you know you got the confidence of already having beaten them once without Fremantle, I've heard some whispers. Maybe he could be back, or at least give them a couple of minutes. I don't know for sure the update on that. I'm not looped into the the inner circles of Xavier, but I bet it's a great game. And uh, I don't have a total take on who's going to win. Unless you sure. want me to, to go out on a limb, I can. No, I won't make you go out on a limb there, but I will put you on the spot for these next two questions. And and the first one related to the Big East tournament next week. Um, when you look at how the Big East teams have fared here over the last couple of weeks and what they are setting up to do going into Madison Square Garden, of course, we all know about UConn and, and the fans that they bring to MSG and how well they are playing right now. And you look at Villanova, who all of a sudden looks like they are playing very well with Justin Moore back in the lineup. Then, oh, by the way, you have you know Marquette, who's won the league, and and Creighton is certainly a factor, even though they just got blown out by by uh, Villanova over the weekend. There are a lot of moving parts here, and as we've said here before on this show, it doesn't feel like this is just the Villanova Invitational now this year. It feels like there is an opportunity. For four every year we say, ah, well, there could be four or five teams that win this. But really, in the back of your mind, Jay Wright, Colin Gillespie, Jalen Brunson, Ryan Archie Diacono, they're sitting there thinking to themselves, this is our tournament to lose. Whereas this year, it's a different outlook on the tournament. And it's refreshing to look at it this way and go into it with this kind of a perspective. All of that is to say, what is your perspective of this tournament and and who do you think is set up the best for it? If it comes down to where the seeding currently are, I would pick the winner of UConn Creighton in that 4-5 game, which is is rather surprising to see that's where I would be leaning. But UConn has kind of been almost a tale of three seasons. They were so good November and December, like invincible, and got up to the number one spot. And Ken Palm looked great, and then they've had their swoon mostly in January and a little bit early February. But if you filter uh, bartorvik.com, an analytics website for since the start of February, UConn's right back up there in the top 10. I believe they're sixth. And then Creighton's just that one team that, that everybody has been in on the high ceiling. And I, I started to buy it a little bit too, but they, you know, taking a home loss from Ken, I think opened my eyes a little bit. They're, right. they're not the invincible climbing the S curve team that I thought they were, but in the postseason, we've seen them make a, a decent run there before. I think that's where I would go. Uh, my pick would be one of those two. That's not to say that Marquette, Xavier, Providence can't make runs in the NCAA tournament. I just like in the Big East setting um, for that, the way teams are trending, those those would be my two picks, whoever wins that four or five game. Gotcha. And then as they go into the NCAA tournament, which team do you think is set up for the most success, the most diverse success in the NCAA tournament? And I say that coming from a perspective where, you know, you look at a Xavier team that sometimes has struggled with those teams that could bog you down, say against like, a Houston or something like that, where you get into those low possession type games, just like what Villanova did last week. You look at some of these other teams that just it that are more matchup dependent. Do you think that there is one team that sticks out in your mind that you say they're versatile enough to get to the second weekend? 
Maybe the closest to that would be Creighton to me. Um, I do think UConn has some issues with creating shots in the half court when they're slowed down. I don't love their guards. I think any of them can be a get to the rim late in the shot clock, get you a, a good bucket there. So that concerns me about UConn. Uh, I barely mentioned Marquette, and they might have been my favorite team to watch this entire season because of the way they move the ball. The defense has caught up a little bit for them, which is actually, I think, rather important for them to make a run. The the thing the point you made on Xavier being bogged down, I think, is an astute one because even some of the elite teams of the past couple of years that have been really transition reliant, I think of Gonzaga and Arizona last year, like two of the top five teams in pace in the country. When they faced somebody that really focused on transition defense, they got slowed down multiple times. Uh, Arizona almost sent down to TCU, then they lost to Houston. Uh, Gonzaga almost lost to Memphis, and then they did lose to Arkansas. So if you can't score in the half court, if you are too reliant on transition, I do think that causes issues. So that that gives me a little bit of a pause with Xavier, but I think their half court offense is better with Fremantle. So if they get back in there, get him back in there, then they've got a little bit more optionality in how they score there. All right. So last question for you here to wrap up this interview, going back to, to Xavier specifically, let's just play the game that Xavier finishes out this season and ends up a four seed, right? We'll, we'll say that they end up a four seed, which would in theory, if everything breaks the right way, match them up with a one seed. If they made the sweet 16, a lot would have to go from where we are sitting here on February 28th. A lot of time stands between us now and that situation, but as it would play out, that would be the setup between the, the one seeds right now that you're looking at. You're, you're probably looking at five teams that are in a running for the four spots between Alabama, Houston, Kansas, Purdue, and UCLA, maybe Texas, maybe, but those are five teams that are, are competing for those four spots. Is there one or two of those teams that stand out to you that say, Ooh, if Xavier played them in the sweet 16, it would be better than other teams. I think everybody's going to want to see Purdue of that group. Uh, the The young, young guards in that setting are going to be an issue. Uh, Xavier can attack Edie in the paint and try to get him in foul trouble. Like a lot of their softest performances, which are not many, they're few and far between for for Purdue, are when he has gotten in foul trouble early. I think about the, the home loss to Rutgers was the big one that stands out there. Um, and I think... Xavier, I just don't think Purdue's as high talent level as the other one seeds, so that that certainly helps. The other one I think that actually is is worth considering is Alabama because they're not going to slow the game down. They are going to play a track meet with Xavier. They're going to be very comfortable with that, and that one could probably come down to who makes more threes because Alabama very, very prone to shooting a ton of them as well. And Xavier might just be the better three-point shooting team uh, of those two. So I think of those five candidates – Purdue and then Alabama is how I would rank it for Xavier. Jim, I appreciate you taking the time this afternoon. Uh, best of luck. I know you're going to have an incredibly busy March and it's the best time of the year. And you're the guest for March 1st. So starting off the month strong, I appreciate it. I'm I'm honored to welcome in the, <laughs> the month of March with you here. So thank you for having me on. Thanks. Number 19, Xavier has a top 20 matchup tonight against Providence, tipping off at 6.30 on FS1. Xavier beat Providence by two in overtime at Cintas back in early February without Zach Fremantle. Xavier's looking to avenge their triple overtime loss at Providence last year, the famous slippery floor game with the water dripping from the roof. Maury Horshgordon noted on Twitter yesterday that eight of the last ten meetings between Providence and Xavier have gone to overtime or been decided by two possessions or less. This is a very important game for seeding in the Big East tournaments. Bear with me while I talk through this. 
With Villanova beating Seton Hall last night, Villanova is the sixth seed and will play Georgetown in the 6-11 game with the winner to play the three seed. And Seton Hall will play DePaul in the 7-10 game at Madison Square Garden with the winner to play the two seed. Here's how all that relates to Xavier. If Xavier goes 2-0 this week, that would be wins over Providence and Butler, they would play the winner of the Seton Hall-DePaul game at MSG. If Providence goes 2-0 this week with wins over Xavier tonight and Seton Hall on Saturday, Providence would play the Seton Hall-DePaul winner and Xavier would play the Villanova-Georgetown winner. With a loss to Providence and a win against Butler, Xavier could also play the Seton Hall-DePaul winner if Seton Hall was to beat Providence on Saturday. The only way Xavier slips to the four seed and has to play UConn on Thursday afternoon at MSG would be if Xavier went 0-2 this week. I know that's a lot of info being thrown at you, so hit that rewind button, or if you're a visual learner, I tweeted out the potential brackets last night that you can go look at on my Twitter account. Number 23, Kentucky is at home tonight for a quad three game against Vanderbilt. Kentucky beat Vandy by 16 in Nashville on January 24th. That game tonight is at Rupp Arena at 7 o'clock. If you want to hear more about the Wildcats, I highly suggest you go back and listen to yesterday's episode with Richard Skinner. National Nuggets now. Number six, Marquette won their first outright Big East title ever with a 16-point win at Butler. Duke narrowly beat NC State 71-67 at Cameron Indoor. Number 13, Virginia picked up a solid seven-point win over Clemson. And one of the more shocking results of the night, Iowa went to Assembly Hall and obliterated number 15, Indiana, 90-68. With the Hawkeyes coming off that incredible comeback win from Saturday against Michigan State, they kept the momentum rolling. I mentioned Villanova earlier. They survived a tight, fun game at the Prudential Center, beating Seton Hall 76-72. The Wildcats made 21 of their 22 free throws in the second half. Michigan State beat Nebraska by 13. Number 3, Kansas beat Texas Tech by 4 at Allen Fieldhouse. Number 12, Tennessee beat Arkansas by 18. And Boise State locked it down defensively in the closing minutes to beat number 18, San Diego State, by 6. Tonight, to get March going, there are nine games involving ranked teams. Highlights of those include number 21, Maryland, at Ohio State, as the Buckeyes look to win back-to-back games. Auburn is at number two, Alabama. Oklahoma at number 11, Kansas State. And to close the night at 9 o'clock, number nine, Texas, is at number 22, TCU. As far as conference tournaments go, the Ohio Valley, Big South, and NEC all start tonight. Moorhead State enters as the favorites in the Ohio Valley. Longwood is a very slim favorite in the Big South at plus 250, with UNC Asheville right behind at plus 270. And Merrimack is the favorite in the NEC. Paul's pick of the day, presented by Betfred Sportsbook, is as hot as it's been all season. Villanova covered minus one and a half last night at Seton Hall, and that's now six wins for this segment in the last seven days, and we're back to 50% overall. Let's try to get above 50% tonight, and I'll go with Kentucky and Vanderbilt over 146.5. That'll do it for today's Rebound Rundown. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Welcome to March.